This morning, I want you to open your Bibles to the second chapter of First John. We're going to finish looking at verses 12, 13, and 14. I've entitled the message, Grow in God's Grace. The Scriptures tell us in multiple places we're exhorted as believers to grow spiritually. Peter wrote in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The goal of spiritual growth is to become more and more like Christ himself, like the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in 1 John chapter 2, in these three verses before us, John assured his readers, he's already assured his readers, that his purpose for writing was twofold. He wanted to encourage them in the spiritual growth that had taken place already in their lives, but he also wanted to challenge them to progress even more, to move even more in their walk with the Lord, to grow even more spiritually mature. When God birthed you into his family, it was not just so that you could then say, well, my sins are forgiven and now I know that I'm going to heaven one day. That's not why God birthed you into his family. It's not why we're saved. That's one of the benefits of being saved. We're going to heaven. In fact, if you look at the, if you were here last week, one of the characteristics of the new believer is that we know our sins have been forgiven and we know God as Father. We know that we're going to heaven one day. However, it was God's divine intention to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In between the birth experience of becoming a believer and spiritual maturity, final maturity in Christ, there is a growth process. And that's what John is referring to here in verses 12, 13, and 14 of 1 John chapter 2. So here's what I want you to take away from the message this morning. <clears throat> Spiritual growth toward Christ's likeness is to be the goal of every professing Christian. Now John characterizes believers at three different stages of spiritual growth. As I indicated, we looked last Sunday at the first stage, the infant stage of the Christian life, characterized by knowledge of our forgiveness of sins and God as Father. But these are the primary characteristics of spiritual infants, of the new believer. But we must eventually move beyond this experience and to grow into Christ-likeness. And so this morning, I want us to look at the other two stages of spiritual growth, spiritual manhood and spiritual maturity. So let's look at these, last, these next two stages of spiritual growth. The first one 
which would be the second stage of spiritual growth. But the first one we're looking at today is spiritual manhood. Spiritual children or infants, new believers, spiritual babies, lack discernment. And they are easy prey for false teachers, which is what uh, was happening to the churches that John is writing to in Asia Minor. They were being infiltrated by a false teaching known as Gnosticism. And if these believers were not growing, if they were not maturing, John was afraid. He knew that they could be deceived by this kind of teaching and it would ultimately defeat them spiritually. That's why Paul warned the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. Look what it says there. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Now John's lengthiest comments are reserved for the young men, those in the middle stage of spiritual growth, those who are in this stage of spiritual manhood. These are the ones, these young men are those are the ones who have shown significant growth and reached a a level of maturity um, that they were known for their strength and their ability to overcome Satan. These are the ones who are expected to be on the front line of defense against Satan and his attacks against the church. Now some might conclude that John was sexist in not referring to mothers and young women, but the use of the masculine form here does not exclude women. It includes all people, men and women, young, old, children and adults. He's talking about boys, girls, men and women here, and he's saying that all of God's children, Male and female, young and old, are to begin to grow and to move toward spiritual maturity. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you farther along in your Christian life today than you were when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Before you answer that, let's look at what John says about these two stages. The believer's growth at this stage, this middle stage, the second stage of spiritual manhood is characterized in two ways. First, these believers are known for being strong in faith. Now look what he says there in verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Believers are urged by the apostle Paul... In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You see, strength is the glory of young manhood. Strength is a notable characteristic of those in their uh, uh, middle years of life. Strength was the glory of Samson. We read of Samson who could rend a lion, take on a whole army, and even carry away a city's gate. Samson was a very strong man. 
And friend, you and I ought never to be content to be weak Christians. We ought to want to be strong in our faith. God wants believers, all of His children, to grow and to develop into spiritual Samsons so that we can stand against the attacks of Satan so that we can defend the faith and that we can be a witness for Christ in this world. So the first thing John says about these young men is that they are strong. The second thing I want you to notice is about these uh, believers is that they are victorious over Satan. Now with a strong faith, believers can overcome the evil one. That's John's point of emphasis, for he repeats himself in verses 13 and 14. Forgiveness of sins and the knowledge of God are not the whole of Christianity. Believers must grow strong in their faith in order to withstand Satan's daily attacks. Now that word overcome is in the perfect tense, meaning... That the victory over Satan has already been won. That's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. Jesus was victorious over sin, over the flesh, over the world, over the devil. But you and I must daily overcome the lies and the temptations of the, that the devil uses to defeat us. Young men who have grown up spiritually are no longer defeated by the evil one. What does that mean? It means that because they are strong in their faith, because they have matured and they are continuing to progress in their faith, what used to get them, what used to make them fall, what has caused them to fail in the past because of their strong faith and their ability to use the Word of God, they are now able to face Satan and overcome Satan because of their faith and the Word of God that abides in them. And that's what God wants for all of us. Now, what's the secret to strong faith and victory over Satan? Look what he says. The Word of God abides in you. That word abide means to come to live. The Word of God has come to live in their hearts and in their minds. They have made the Word of God a part of of their lives, and it has made them strong. It has made them victorious. One of the most fascinating stories in the Bible is the story of Jesus in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about where Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus had gone without any food at all. And at his weakest point, Satan comes along and he tempts the Lord Three on three different occasions in three different ways. And each time the Word of God that abided in Jesus' heart 
came forth. And Jesus denied Satan the opportunity to tempt him or to give in to the temptation by the word of God. He says, uh, the first temptation, Jesus reached into his heart and brought the word of God forth. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil then took Jesus up on top of the temple, told him to cast himself down. If he was the son of God, he would be protected by God's angels. And Jesus again reached into where the word of God was abiding. He says that again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The third temptation was for Jesus to bow before Satan and Satan would give him all the kingdoms of the world. And again, Jesus went to where the word of God abided in him. And he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the Bible says at that point, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus was absolutely victorious over the devil. Friend, as Christians, you and I need to understand that we can have daily victory over the devil as we let the Word of God abide in us. Jerry Vine says, when you begin to get a grip on God's Word, God's Word begins to get a grip on you. The question is not whether you own a Bible. The question is, does the Bible own you? How much time do you spend in God's Word? Show me a person who has power with God. A person who enjoys intimacy with the Lord. A person who has a strong faith. A person who experiences personal victory over temptation. And I will show you a person who is committed to consistent reading and studying and meditating on the Bible. Friend, just as it takes discipline to work out regularly and become physically strong. So it takes discipline and consistent reading and studying of the scriptures to become spiritually strong. As the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1 verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you delight in the word of God? Really delight in it? Do you cherish it? Do you spend time with it? Does it permeate your life? Do you put it into practice? Does it guide your thoughts? Does it guide your decisions? Does it guide your words? Does it guide your actions? Is the Bible a high priority for you? The young men John was directly addressing derived their strength from the Word of God. The one weapon we all have at hand, and the one that Satan fears most is the Word of God. Dr. David Allen, <clears throat> head of the theology department at Southwestern Theological Seminary, says this, knowledge of the Word takes the fangs out of the serpent, the devil. It takes the teeth out of the roaring lion, the devil. 
who walks around seeking to devour us. A fangless snake and a toothless lion cannot do much damage. You say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't have time. I'm too busy to read and study the Bible. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I'm too busy to do it. I can't find the time to do it. I've heard that from people. In fact, I've probably used it myself sometimes. I read this week a letter by four-star Marine General James Mattis on the advantages of reading. Here's what he said. Before being deployed to Iraq in 2004, a colleague wrote asking him about the importance of reading and military history for officers, many of whom found themselves too busy to read. Mattis responded to this letter, and his response went viral over email. Here's what he said. Dear Bill, the problem with being too busy to read is that you learn by experience or by your men's experience the hard way. By reading, you learn through others' experiences, generally a better way to do business, especially in our line of work where the consequences of incompetence are so final for young men. Thanks to my reading, I have never been caught fat, fat, flat-footed by any situation, never at a loss for how many problems, uh, for how any problem had been addressed successfully or unsuccessfully before. Ultimately, a real understanding of history means that we face nothing new under the sun. For all the fourth generation of war intellectuals running around today saying that the nature of war has fundamentally changed, the tactics are wholly new, etc., I must respectfully say that not really. Alexander the Great would not be in the least bit perplexed by the enemy that we face right now in Iraq. And our leaders going into this fight do their troops a disservice by not studying the men who have gone before us. We have been fighting on this planet for 5,000 years and we should take advantage of their experience. And then he's closed his letter with these words. He says, as a result of reading, the enemy has paid when I had the opportunity to go against them. And I believe that many of my young guys lived because I didn't waste their lives. Because I didn't have the vision in my mind of how to destroy the enemy at least cost to our guys and to the innocents on the battlefields. Hope this answers your questions. Simplify, Mattis. I read that and I thought about the fact that we are in a battle with Satan for our souls and for the souls of men. But friend... We need to understand, we are not ill-equipped soldiers facing the enemy alone. Daily, we can put on the full armor of God. But it takes time to read, to study, to meditate, to understand 
what others have done before. Just like the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Learning by Jesus' example. Learning by the disciples' example. Learning from others who have gone before us. Learning what God says about different situations throughout His Word and how we can apply those principles and values to our own lives so that when we are faced with a conflict, when we are faced with temptation, we don't have to learn through experience the hard way, but we can be prepared beforehand and know the best strategy for moving forward through any given situation. John says, those in this middle stage are the young men who have come to a place where they understand that they are strong in their faith and they have overcome the evil one. Well, <clears throat> that brings us to the third stage of spiritual uh, growth, and that is spiritual maturity. Now look what John says in verse 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now fathers refers to spirit, the spiritually mature. These are those who are the experienced people of the church, the saints of God, those who have walked with the Lord for many years. Perhaps John is thinking about his own life at this point. As John reflects back on his life, he's been, he had walked with the Lord uh, for over 50 years. John had been uh, a believer and he had walked with the Lord. He had begun many years ago following Jesus. And now, looking back over all these years, John is an older man. He's an elder at this point in his life. And John, is, as a seasoned saint, writes to the mature members of the church. And he says, like me, you know the Lord. You've walked with the Lord for many years. And you have reached a level of spiritual maturity. The words who is are not in the original Greek text. It literally reads, I am writing to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. John is saying you have known and experienced the Lord for a long time. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was, when he was a young preacher boy, was preaching on one occasion on forgiveness. And at the conclusion of his sermon, his grandfather, who was a preacher as well, was in attendance on this particular Sunday. And at the conclusion of the service, or the sermon, and as they were getting ready to conclude the service, Spurgeon asked his grandfather to come and to pray uh, to close the service. And the elder Spurgeon came forward. He put his arm on his young grandson, the preacher, and said to the congregation, Charles can tell you about it, but I have lived it. 
Charles can tell you about it, but I have lived it. And listen, there is something about a believer's walk with the Lord after many years of trusting Him. I see this particularly in the senior adults of our churches. You look at some of these men and women who have faithfully walked with the Lord, lived for God most of their lives. They just exude trust. They are filled with a sense of joy and assurance and hope. I've heard more than one say, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So I want to ask you, do you know more about God this morning than you used to? Do you know more about Jesus than when you first came to know him? You ought to. And if we don't, if we're not growing, if we're not maturing, if we're not seeing that our faith is becoming stronger, if we're not experiencing victory over Satan, if we're not moving towards spiritual maturity, then I can assure you that we will face defeat and failure a long life's path. And we will look back one day with regret, knowing it could have been so much different had we just decided way back then when we were spiritual infants that that was not enough. That is not all God wanted. But he wanted me to grow into spiritual manhood and womanhood and to become one day a spiritually mature saint of his. Friend, may God help us as individuals and as a church to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's what the Christian life is all about. And if we're not growing, then what chance does the next generation coming behind us have if we are still, as adults, needing training wheels in order to ride this bike that we've been put on when really we should have gotten rid of the training wheels long ago. Amen. May God raise up in his church spiritually strong men and women who are moving towards spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness.